Beloved children of God, and that is what we are, grace and peace to you as you listen to this message that liberates the soul and uh, gives strength to the weak and eyes to the blind, spiritually speaking. Amen. It was almost 40 years ago, it was this time of year, and it was my senior year of high school, and they issued our class schedule for the spring semester to us. And I looked on there, and for my last semester of high school, I was assigned to be in Mrs. Connell's English class. You have to understand, she had a reputation of being hard and being exacting and unremitting, and I had a serious case of senioritis. Bad. In the fall, because I had taken enough credits, uh, the spring before I set it up, so in the fall, this was my schedule. Vocational agriculture co-op, study hall, English, vocational agriculture for go home and go to work. (laughs) And I had Mrs. Connell for the spring. I've always had a high regard for my ability to be persuasive, positive or negative, so I decided I would make an appointment to see the counselor. And I would, I'm an activator, so I'd do it early and beat the other students, and I'd get out of her class. I would talk my way out of this. I cannot go to Mrs. Connell's class. And he laughed me almost out of his office. I gave him my spiel and how it was going to be hard, and I didn't think that I could do it. And, and, you know, he's looking at my grades. I always made good grades. I was a notorious underachiever. And he just kind of laughed, and he said, Donald, Just blossom where you're planted. I said, is that it? There's nothing more I can say. He said, that's it. Go back, take Mrs. Connell, you'll do fine. And I went away dejected. And I ended up in Mrs. Connell's English class. We are like that, aren't we? We want to change our circumstances. We want to control them. We, We want to make it so that our life is easy. That's, it's, you can see it in a little infant as they're shaking the, standing in the crib, shaking it and screaming, right? I want to change my circumstances. I don't like the way it is. And in us, our whole life, it chases us this irksome feeling about any kind of suffering and difficulty. We all have it. And we're grown-ups now, and we still suffer with it. And when something new comes on into our life and invades us, One of the first things we're trying to do is figure out how can I fix it? How can I escape it? How can I delegate it away from me? How can I not have to deal with this? And when we feel like there's no way, then we start to suffer from depression and disappointment and frustration and anger and fear. And then we have to start to internalize what what are we going to do with this? You know, the Holy Spirit is called the counselor by Jesus, and the Holy Spirit has words for our hearts. And you, I know, because you're human, that what I'm talking about resonates with you, although this preaching thing is a one-way conversation. But I'm telling you that what God the Holy Spirit has for us in His Word today is like what that counselor had for me in high school. Blossom where you're planted, even if you're planted in a difficult place. 
And that's why I went out and picked this picture. Every now and then when I'm out walking or jogging, I didn't get to take this picture, but I'll see a flower that's squeezing through the crack in the sidewalk, and I think of that counselor, and I think of that blossoming where you're planted. And now I'm going to think of this, this book, the book of Revelation, and its message. And what I've pulled from Revelation is from chapter 1 is the way John, the apostle, who is really planted in a place like that flower is, he is stuck out on an island that looked about like that. It was a de- desert island, still kind of is. They have a city that's there now, but it's the island of Patmos. And he was pushed out there by the Roman government. And he, he was forced to be there as the church leader because the Roman government wanted to throttle him. He couldn't do Facebook from there. There's no, there's no internet, remember that. There's, there's not even a, a mail system. He is stuck out there to shut him up and make him suffer for being a church leader because the government was against him. And there were lots of people being persecuted by their government. One thing that makes it difficult to preach to you, to get you to listen, is that you're not being persecuted by your government. You didn't come in with that angst. You and I live a privileged life as American citizens. And our biggest thing is whether or not the government's going to shift this way or that way and, and take away some of our money in taxation. But we're not being persecuted by our government, like many Christians are today in different places. But... We still are troubled. There still is a devil. Death still chases us. Illness and frustration and problems, right? We've got them. So what John has to say to us and what God had to say to John is still very applicable to us in our lives. And what, what Jesus does is he opens up these visions to John to teach him and us how to think and how to live and how to be comforted. What he does at the very beginning I want to do for you today as that counselor, the Holy Spirit speaks through his word and says, blossom where you're planted. John, you're on the island there. God's people, you're being persecuted over on the mainland. God in heaven says, I want to tell you, blossom where you're planted. This is what's going to happen. So you're ready to hear the first paragraph? You've got it here in the folder. It's going to be on the screen. John writes, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance. There it is. In the suffering, I am your brother in the suffering and the kingdom of God and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. I was on the island of Patmos. I was not on vacation. (laughs) I was forced there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Because I am a Christian leader, I got thrown out there on that island. And by the way, it was even difficult for John to find things to eat. It wasn't a great place to live. It was hard. Okay. We're going to stop there for a a few moments. No, I want to do 10 11. On the Lord's day, that Sunday, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And here they are. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. They represent all of the churches, but because seven is the, f- the famous number of Revelation, Jesus only picks seven. Write this down. This is for people. Here's your message. Blossom where you're planted. Did you notice in that verse 9 what he called himself? He said, I'm a brother in suffering and endurance. Those go together. And I'm a brother in the kingdom. These are themes, this is the beginning of his letter, from visions. These are the themes. 
we are together in suffering and we are together in kingdom. Let's talk about blossoming where you're planted when you're suffering. God doesn't want you to first run to change your circumstances, although that's what we do. But He doesn't, these are double negatives, He doesn't disallow it. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's writing to people that are Christians, some are slaves and some are free people. And they're in the same congregation worshiping together when they could. He said, were you a slave when you became a Christian? Chapter 7 says this. Try to get your freedom if you can. But if you can't, this is what Paul says in English. It would be, don't sweat it. Blossom where you're planted. God, will, God has made you free in your heart to be a servant from the heart to the people who have enslaved you, but also to everybody else. That's a spiritual message that your flesh cannot produce and the world around you won't produce for you either. That has to come from heaven that you are a servant as a suffering person. And God has many reasons why he allows us to suffer. And you know that as an American, I'm with you and that I'm privileged. We don't have a government after us, but I'm in the flesh. I have health challenges every day. You know that the preachers up here have, they live in the same world that you do. We're, we're in this together. And rather than try to get out of Mrs. Connell's class, let's learn to listen to God and do something wonderful while we suffer. Do something wonderful. Be a light while you suffer. The smallest light will incredibly challenge the darkest place. You know that, right? Light a match in a room uh, with our, our foster son. The bathroom faces the foot of the bed. So you go in to wake him up in the morning. I, just the, the one light bulb in the room is just way too bright. I'll go into the bathroom, turn that light on. It's still just light just pours into the room. I almost don't have to say anything. It's, ah! Yeah, it's time to get up. Light does that at your house, right? You don't open a dark closet when you have a lit room and the darkness in the closet pours out into the room and fills it up. doesn't happen, does it? It's the other way around. Why do I say that? Because we forget that. We're so busy trying to get out of our suffering, we forget that we, as the light of goodness and love and truth, it cannot be bought. That's what the devil accused God of. He said, you bought Job off. You know? And so he said, well, you can let him suffer. He'll still be a light. Watch. And God wants us to be a light of love and compassion and blessing people even while we suffer. And don't think that the people in your life don't realize that you are rising above your feelings of disappointment when you're suffering. And they, when they see you live an optimistic, faith-filled, blessing, outward-focusing, other-oriented life. They do see that. That light fills their lives. And what God's saying to you is blossom there. So you're, so you're planted in the crack in a hard life of concrete. Blossom there. You'll show up. You'll bless people and they'll look for me. Uh, this coming Saturday, I'm going to try to not get choked up here. This coming Saturday, I have an opportunity to be the preacher at a very dear friend's funeral, Evelyn Schippenhauer. She, she went to heaven 10 days ago. Evelyn touched an immense amount of people 
because she blossomed where she was planted. Because she had spiritual insight into the gospel, she had spiritual gifts. One of her gifts was the gift of encouragement. One was of mercy and compassion. So she became a nurse. And back then, in those days, she died at the age of 93-ish. In those days, when she was a young 20-something and she went to nursing school up in Milwaukee, the seminary students, all men, would go to the nursing school, all women, and they'd have parties and dates to find the latent function of college is to find your mate, right? They would find their mate. And she married a pastor. This is how she came into my life long distance, okay? She married a pastor, and she said, I'll follow you wherever we go, deeply in love with him. Her waters run deep. And they, his first assignment was to an, uh, the... What was once called the, the most remote place in, the, in America, Bylas, Arizona, in the reservation, where we take our kids. We don't take them to Bylas. And so she, here she is in Bylas, and in the first four years of marriage, they had three kids, all, all Irish triplets, you know. And he was a pastor, and he, he, a missionary pastor, and he left to go to a conference, and someone in the Apache reservation passed away, had passed away, and so he came back from the three-day conference in the middle, and he... Uh, uh, did the funeral, and then on driving back in a rainstorm, he raced a train across the tracks, was hit by the train, the car, and he passed away and went to heaven. And there she was with these three little kids. And so she moved back to Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. She got a nursing job, and she was so in love with him for the last, the last 70 years she hasn't ever married again. And she raised those three little, and it was hard. And there's where she met some of you that are older know this, Pastor Harold Johnny and his wife, Barbara, and that's how they became dear friends as they did life together, pastor and people. And she became a strong encourager in the congregation, and she blossomed where she planted, where she was planted. As time passed, she moved to Houston. She, her kids were raised. Her son was in Houston. Her daughter was, was one in Dallas, one was in Arizona. She moved to Houston, and she, had a, 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 she worked for her son when I fa- met her as a vicar of intern in her congregation. This is about 29, 30 years ago. And she was an, just a congregation just like ours, active member, and she, every, every week she'd want to go make calls on people as outreach calls and go with the vicar. And so, so we got to know each other because we go to people's houses together that had visited our church or not. We wanted them to. And we did ice cream every time after we talked a lot. And she came and sat through every vicar's beginner's Bible study class. And she encouraged all the, there were like eight or nine guys that passed through that church as vicars. And this is just a little slice of the pie, my friends. She'd go back to beaver dam for vacation every year and the first thing she did her sister would pull out the sheet of paper of all the people she had raised her kids with that are elderly and she would call down the list every one of them and encourage them find out what was going on and that was her ministry of encouragement some of your kids got gifts from her some of you have have been touched by her because she's visited here but but all over our church body and outside of it there are people of all ages that Evelyn would continually bless. And don't think that God said, that is so wonderful, your last 30 years are going to be the easiest. She lost both her daughters to cancer with about a year and a half apart and had to live out the last 10, 20 years without them. And she was very close to them. 
one of the things that she did when she was not able to drive was get a member of her church in San because she moved to San Antonio to follow her son there is she would go to the hospital volunteer one day a week and there she would be with people before surgery and she would be the hospital volunteer and she would she would ask very carefully if they had any kind of faith. And if they had Christian faith, she'd launch into devotional thoughts. If they didn't, she'd say, well, the Lord be with you and bless you through your surgery. And she'd ask some of them if she could pray with them. Here she was in her late 80s uh, using a walker at a hospital as a volunteer serving other people. And her life was hard. You see what I'm saying? Don't wait for your life to get easy to let your light shine. You shine, blossom right where you're planted. You've got breath in your body. You're able to get to church, for crying out loud. You've got things that you can do for others. Don't wait till you get older and retire to write thank you notes. Don't, don't wait to reach out to other people and, and surprise them with Acts of kindness and acts of faith. Blossom, bless, forgive. Love the porcupines and the sandpaper people the same way you love every, those that make you smile and make you feel good. Be a blessing. That's what John is saying. I'm a partner in suffering. Throughout the book of Revelation, he says, he says here, I was suffering because of my testimony about Jesus. He keeps talking about how Christians are not to give up their testimony about Jesus and his love and his salvation, even though they're being persecuted. But we're to continue to be the light. It's very lonely to suffer, isn't it? You have feelings and emotions that are all your own. And some of them you really don't like, but they're there. And you don't know, often, you don't know who you can reach out to because you're, you're so, you're, you're, they're, they're yours and they're not pretty, right? Well, watch what Jesus does for John. Let's, let's take, take the next slide. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Remember, he's suffering on this concrete, hard island. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands representing the seven churches. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. He's among the lampstands, not way up in heaven. He's among them. And, and, the, he, he, he had, uh, and among the lampstands, like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Go to the next one. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In the right hand he held seven stars, which are the pastors of those churches. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, what would you do? I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Then he placed his right hand. I think he maybe been playing dead like you would if a bear was chasing you. you know. he, said, he said, he put his right hand on me. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now, look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death in Hades. That's you, my friend, with Jesus' hand on your shoulder. That's why John shared it. I was the leader of the church who's out in this hard place. I saw him, 
Even though it feels when you're going through something, you can't see God, you can't find Him, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, it feels like nothing's changing. No, 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 God says in His Word. I am walking among the lampstands. I am with you, and my right hand is on your shoulder. Can you put your hand up on your shoulder and feel it? I can't. I wonder if John, when Jesus touched him, because it was another sensory thing that happened, I wonder if he looked. And I wonder if he saw the scar. Even if he didn't, Jesus told him, I was dead. John wrote a gospel before this. He knows why Jesus died. I was dead and I'm alive again. It's it's interesting that John who wrote the gospel of John is getting schooled in this vision as if he's a first grader having to hear the gospel all over again. Isn't that you and me? When you're troubled and you're suffering and you're hurting, you just can't get tired of hearing the story, right? I was dead and I'm alive again. There's hope beyond the death. Because see, the, the, the Roman government were killing Christians. It was mercy that they didn't kill John. And we are all being chased by death. And Jesus tells us one of the biggest things we need to hear who are fearful of death. I was dead and I'm alive again. And I give the same to you. As by grace, forgiveness takes care of the sin that brings us death, and so it takes care of death. You're going to live forever, and your body's going to rise up like mine did. I was dead, and I'm alive again. But I also, I hold the keys to death and Hades. Death will not master your life. I am the master of life. So if you pass at any given time, and that's the biggest suffering we all have, I hold the keys. I give you eternal life. You're going to heaven. And your body will rise up someday because I am God. Look at my glowing face, my bronze feet. I'm in control of all things. There is no other God but me. That's the message the counselor gives to people like you and me that make appointments with God to try to go get our circumstances changed. He says, I'm with you. I'm among you. I've got you. At the moment, Jesus is not promising to change your circumstances. He may change them. Sometimes he does. But he's changed your destiny and your heart. And you've got hope. And that's what you need to blossom where you're planted. Because you are a child of the king. And now I just said something that it's identity. If you go all the way back, go, they're going to do the next slide, but it's going to take us back to verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering, what's the next word? And kingdom. Those words, and kingdom, get repeated and enhanced throughout the letter. We are kings and priests. We're treated like the scum of the earth by the unbelievers. That's what was happening to them. But we are a kingdom and priests in God's family. That hand that's on John's shoulder is saying, you're my child. Have you ever, uh, it's either happened to you or you've seen it happen, where a father who has a close relationship with their child, and the child's out of sorts and misbehaving, the father can just walk into the room with his big body and his strong hand and put his hand on the shoulder of that little boy or girl, and what happens? Dad's here, right? You are God's child. You are, a, if, if he is royalty, Jesus and he's the king, and you are a sibling of his, or you are a child of his, what does that make you? You're royalty. You're in the royal family. 
The earth may be all about the royal family of England, but heaven is all about the royal family of Christ. And if there was a tabloid in heaven, it would be all about us as his children. The good, bad, and the ugly, all covered by the blood of Christ. That's your identity. And identity is more powerful than commands. One pastor said one time in a, at a Bible study I was at, he said, my mother used to say on Friday nights as I went out with my friends, not don't do this and do this and don't do this. She always said, remember who you are. You're a child of God. She didn't mean the pastor's kid. You're a child of God. You're, you're a kingdom in the royal family. And it changes everything about us. And you know what? What this does, this message, because I went back, I went back walking down the hallway going, I don't have any other plan. What this did was made me think about, well, what does it mean to blossom where you're planted? It means do your best in the situation. It means trust and believe and let the changes happen in here and not in your circumstances. When you do that and you quit obsessing about changing your circumstances, often you are in the place in your faith-filled heart to receive the blessings that you had no idea you would have lost if you'd have changed your circumstances. So Mrs. Connell, whom everybody said was so hard, ended up being one of my most tender teachers in high school. I got mono that spring, and I had to miss like 10 days of class just to recover. And she was very helpful because she was a compassionate woman that I didn't know she had compassion like that. She, she had chilled a child that had mono. So she was, she was already kind of in, in re, you know, related to what it was like, what it did to you. And she made extra effort so I could get all my work done and make a decent grade and, and, and be patient with me as I was exhausted for you know, several days at a time. But you know what's more? I had to take the finals. You don't have to, back then you didn't have to take the finals if you only missed two days uh, of school or less. But I missed ten. And I hated it that I had to take finals because I had senioritis. Right? The finals, only about 10% of the, the, school, the school took the finals. Everybody left. It's the end of your senior year. All the social networks are gone. And there's only six of us left in the class. And this young lady was in that class. And the, I was scared to talk to her. Except we had an hour with six of us. Because the final took one hour and it was a two-hour class. You couldn't leave the room. So I pulled up next to her and put on my best one-liners. and Started talking to her. And she said she was going to go out in California and learn airplane mechanics. And I thought, well, that's a lost cause. But... It was the beginning of me keeping tabs on her and later ran into her sister and, and then you, you know the rest of the story. And it's a part of our love affair that I got to talk to her for an hour with no, all, the rest of high school is gone and, and, and make connections, right? What if I had gotten out of Mrs. Connell's class? You wouldn't even like me. Maybe you don't. I don't know. (laughs) 
You understand, don't you? There's some unintended blessings that God has for you, dear friend. Wherever you're suffering, if it's at your job or in your family, whatever it is, there's some unintended blessings. You need to wait for it. Blossom where you're planted. Suffer, but be a light. And remember who you are. You're a child of the King. And He'll take care of you. Amen.